following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Hello everyone, it's Pastor Alan here again from All Saints Lutheran Church for July the 5th, 2020. I hope everyone had a wonderful Canada Day this past Wednesday in spite of all that's been going on and I hope all of you and yours are are keeping healthy and coping well with uh, this continued time of restrictions and often confusion. also want to wish any of our American friends a happy 4th of July uh, and uh, hopefully this has been a, a really good weekend for, for everyone. We're continuing our series on the Gospel of Mark, which I've entitled The Remarkable Gospel. As I've said many times, we're going to see it again. This this version of the story of Jesus, probably taken from Peter's uh, oral presentation of it that Mark eventually wrote down, is full of emotion and reaction. And we're going to see some more in the passage that we're going to look at this week. We're in Mark chapter 9. And... Um, as, I, as I've been studying this, I could I could see how uh, Peter is speaking to these crowds as he's presenting this story of Jesus. But as he's speaking to the crowds, he's speaking to everyone. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to non-believers. He's speaking to them. And through Mark's writing down of this, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to us today. And... Uh, there's something really things that are very important that we need to to catch to pay attention to 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 really get as we look at this uh, to get the context we're going to be reading starting at verse one our we're, the passage we're looking at is verses 14 through 29 but I'm going to be reading uh, Mark chapter 9 starting at verse 1 going all the way through verse 29 so let's do that now and he said to them Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses and they were talking with Jesus and Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, Why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. 
And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you that you have preserved it for us, that we might get to know you better and learn to live life more effectively. Help us, Father, to understand what you're saying in this passage and show us, Lord, not only show us, but give us the the grace by the power of your Spirit to live out what you're, the way that you're calling us to live. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so what we have here is we just saw last week the episode of what's called the Transfiguration, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up this high mountain, possibly Mount Hermon, in the very north of Israel, and he changed before them in this in this glorious brightness. And it all resulted with these the strong words from God in heaven himself saying to Peter, James, and John, and then to us, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And in some way, this continues this same theme as, as we will see. So they come down the mountain and there's a commotion going on. Uh, it looks like this argument of some of some of, of some sort. It's like they're disputing. And uh, and so we'll we'll pick it up here. Uh, by the way, this version of the story it also appears following the Transfiguration in both Matthew and Luke. But the, the Mark version is far more busier. It's far more detailed. And there really is a sense that uh, that the person telling the story was really there, that they were engaged, uh, that they were involved, and, and they pick up upon all the emotion and, and the commotion that, that's going on here. It's quite vivid. Verse 14, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a, lo- a great crowd around them and scribes, arguing with them. And so this seems to me there's some sort of dispute going on here. And we we learn eventually how this man had brought his son uh, to be uh, for a 
an unclean spirit to be cast out of his son. Uh, he came looking for Jesus. Uh, he wasn't there. It's just he asked his disciples to do it, and they couldn't cast out the demon. And there were some religious experts there, Bible scholars, scribes, as they're called. Uh, for some reason, they were there in, in the crowd, and and it looks like when things weren't going the way the disciples expected, the scribes really took them to task. It's, it was possible that it was something like, uh, hey, you thought you could heal the kid, you phony? Oh, yeah? Just wait until the master gets here. You'll see. Yeah, but I thought you guys were able to do this, and you, you know you failed. And it, it could have been that sort of thing. Um and uh, culturally, this would be a group of people that would be very free to, to confront and discuss uh, and dispute uh, what's going on. Um, I, I believe that's mainly a desire to, to, to follow the truth. And, and, and sometimes passion for getting it right can get you into trouble. It's something that I'm personally aware of. Anyway, in the middle of all this, Jesus shows up, verse 15 and 16. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? It was sort of a, you know, you know, why were they amazed? You know, some people think that maybe he was glowing after the transfiguration, but we have no reason to believe that there were any after effects. Remember, he wanted to keep what had happened on the mountain secret. So then why were they amazed? Well, it could have been. There they were, all broiled. You know, Jesus wasn't there. The Father expected Jesus to be there. He wasn't there. And they're in, in, in this commotion and dispute arguing. And all of a sudden, look who arrives. The Messiah's here. And so, whoa, Jesus is here. And so they run up to him. And he asks, what are you arguing about? Now, some people um, will say that when Jesus asks a question like this, that he's sort of kind of playing around with them because doesn't he always know everything isn't he god in the flesh and therefore he's all-knowing well let's remember that according to philippians chapter 2 uh, paul writes that even though uh, he was in the form of god he he didn't hold on to that it wasn't something that he, he grasped onto but he emptied himself and being found in the likeness of man which wasn't saying that he wasn't really a man is that he there he was as a man acting like a normal human being uh, without the sin. Uh, but he didn't go around in in um, in his godness all the time. We got a glimpse of it in the transfiguration, but normally he lived his life as a normal human being, just like you and me, and demonstrate to us what it, what it means for a person to be completely reliant upon God. That's one of the lessons in this passage, as we will see. Uh, verse 17, and we're going to do verse 17, middle of verse 18. And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, that's the Father speaking, I, I brought my son to you, not the Father God, Father of the, of the oppressed boy. I brought my son to you, and he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. And this whole story is being told as if as if we're really there, um, as of course as if the the person telling the story was really there because if it was Peter he was there, and it's, uh, it's you know someone from the crowd as if we don't really know who that is. Um, Jesus, Jesus is asking you know what's going on here, and the the father of the afflicted son speaks up, and he describes a condition that as we read it sounds like what we call today epilepsy, but it's very clear in the story first from the dad that he understands this to be 
a, a demon, an unclean spirit, a malevolent uh, entity that's controlling his son and afflicting his son in this way. Now, it's not as if ancient people uh, did not know how to differentiate between uh, affliction from a spirit as opposed to a disease. And we see that in the Gospel of Mark when when Jesus uh, heals Peter's mother-in-law, she has a fever. He rebukes the fever. There's no mention of a spirit. Here it's a spirit. The father thinks it's a spirit. And Jesus deals with it as a spirit. So it's a spirit. And we would do well to learn to differentiate between a physical disease and uh, malevolent, unclean, demonic entities as we have here. So he had specifically brought, his intention was to bring his afflicted son to Jesus. Uh, But Jesus wasn't there. Continuing verse 18. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And look at Jesus' response. It's Here's the remarkable gospel. Jesus reacts. Maybe it's not a reaction, but he, he responds very strongly. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So the the um, the attempt by the disciples to uh, deliver the son from this demonic power didn't work. And that's what the father reports. And then Jesus has this, this big response, oh, faithless generation. Like all of a sudden he's painting the, all the people of his time based on what the father's saying. Now we don't know if it's because the father was saying this because the disciples or because the disciples couldn't do it or because all the arguments and and commotion that was going on. Um, But it's like he's talking as if he's really fed up and he's echoing words that were very, very old, spoken by Moses back in Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. Uh, Before Moses died, shortly before he died and the people would be led by Joshua into the promised land, Moses sings this song, this long poetic song that actually is quite negative uh, about the people and basically uh, foretells how they will not be able to live up to God's ways and they were going to fail really, really badly. Deuteronomy 32 verse 5 says, They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. And so really... Jesus is speaking um, uh, how God feels about his people after all the all these years, like how long like I've been teaching you and speaking to you and showing you and correcting you and disciplining you, and still you don't get it. And who is he really speaking to? Uh, remember, when God confronts the Jewish people, the people of Israel, for their inability to live up to his standards. It's not all about the Jewish people. The Jewish people were chosen as a mirror to reflect human nature, the way all people are. And this is not written down for us. Peter was not speaking this, likely in Rome. That's what most people think. In the big city of the day, uh, he wasn't just telling the, uh, that uh, he wasn't telling them this 
So they could go, oh boy, those people of Jesus' day back in in, uh, the north of Israel, whoa, were they terrible. And the people of Israel, they've always been so terrible. And whoa, they're terrible. That's not why this was preserved. The, The impression that I've been getting, the more I've been immersed in the Gospel of Mark, is that Peter and or Mark are concerned about the believers of their day. They were very likely under a lot of pressure. They were probably being persecuted, and they were probably really struggling with their faith. And uh, there's a sort of a, come on, guys, like, you should know better. That's what Jesus is telling them. That's what Mark, hopefully, what I think Mark was communicating to the his audience that he was writing to. And that's what God is saying to us today. Come on, you should be doing better than this. And so it's sort of a same old, same old, and but God doesn't want to leave us there. So let's see what the lesson is, and may God give us the grace to learn this lesson. Verse 20, and they brought the boy to him, like Jesus said, and when the Spirit saw him, the Spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. Now notice the interaction with Jesus, Jesus being there, the first thing that happened here is a mess. Like we often think that the presence of Jesus should be such a calming factor. But that wasn't true in Jesus' day and it hasn't been true, true since. When the presence and power of God comes in the name of Jesus, literally all hell breaks loose because he agitates the whole realm of darkness. It can't hide any longer. And um, and so very often what happens when God begins to break through in our lives, it could be messy. It could be messy personally. It could be messy relationally. It could be messy within our church communities. Um, and just because we're not meeting in our building right now doesn't mean that God isn't working. And, and um, God often causes messes before he brings that peace and brings that healing that we need. And the reason why I share this is very often we resist the mess. It's like, um, yes, please, please come and renovate my, come renovate my kitchen. What are you doing? Oh, we, we have to, we have to tear down these. Cabinets. No, 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 no. I don't want any messes. No dust. I, I, no mess. No noise. Uh, but ma'am, we're not going to be able to renovate your kitchen unless we make a mess first. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Well, okay. It makes sense. If we want God to renovate our lives, and we need renovating, if we want God to renovate our lives, he's going to make a mess first. So make a mess, Lord. Do what you have to do. Verse 21 uh, into verse 22, the first part. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it often has cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. So again, Jesus is asking questions, and again, it's it's uh, he he doesn't seem to know everything, and for some reason he needed to know this. Um, and what we learn from this is this was a chronic condition. This was happening for a long time. We also learn because the father adds some extra information that it was trying to destroy him. And this is one of the reasons probably why he knew this to be some sort of spirit influence and not a disease because what he was noticing was that these seizures as we would call them today uh he was not just 
falling down and shaking, but it looked like it was putting him into very dangerous situations and trying to kill him. Verse, the second part of verse 22, but if you can do anything, the father continues, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And no, notice how the father identifies with the condition of the son that have compassion on us. And what, you know, the father cared about the, the boy, but this was causing suffering for the boy and for the father, maybe there wasn't a mother involved at this point. This was a very difficult situation, and he's exas- exasperated and, and, and asking the Lord to please help us. And Jesus picks up on the fact that he says, if you can do anything. So at this point, the father who had come originally to Jesus, we don't know if this is what he would have said at the beginning, but at this point, um, can you do anything? Now, now, some translations try to make this sound as if uh, when Jesus responds he's uh, with the, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. It's like, if, if, you, if you can, sir. Um, but it sounds like he's, he's picking up on what the man said, you know, Jesus, if you can. And he's going, like, if I can indeed. Well, of course I can. Because all things are possible for one who believes. Now, this all things are possible for all for one who believes, it sounds like this very general statement. You can put it on a bumper sticker or on a greeting card. People probably have. And but it sounds as almost it could be um reduced into this attitude sort of thing. If if you know, if you just have faith and have a good attitude and believe that the you know in God then all things are possible then you can get to that if you really have faith you can do anything that you want and it's going to be okay and, and that sort of thing and it, that's not really what's going on here um it's he's saying he's actually saying something else what he's and it has a lot to do with understanding what this word uh, believe actually means. And as I've mentioned many times, and I'll keep on saying it, uh, the Hebrew and the Greek, so this is written in Greek, they weren't speaking Greek. They were probably speaking Jewish Aramaic. And Aramaic, is in, this, the, in terms of this word believe, is like the Hebrew. And it's the Hebrew from the Old Testament that's behind these concepts that's how that culture would have worked and so when they're talking about belief belief faith and uh, trust are all the same word in hebrew and in aramaic and greek as well which is kind of interesting in english it isn't in greek it's pistis in aramaic and hebrew it's all related to the term amen where we get amen from and amen means it is true let this is true let it be um and so belief faith trust are actually all related to the concept of truth and all that sounds very strange behind that is the root idea of firmness something solid that's why it relates to the idea of truth it's the way Things really are. And that's why faith is not hopeful thinking about something, but rather 
It's a conviction and understanding of the way things really are. Faith is not a denial of reality. It's actually a connection to reality. The problem is the situations that we're in will will react to them basically not based on reality, based on our own way of thinking. Um, in my own personal time, uh, my own personal Bible reading, uh, I'm studying for Samuel. And I was really struck again by the story of David and Goliath. And what's happening there is Goliath appears to the armies of Israel, and he's he's like the tank of that day. Um, he's about nine feet tall, in armor, with his huge uh, like javelin-type spear, and they are completely intimidated by him, except for David. David knows something that for some reason the armies of Israel don't know, and that is God's involved here, God is trustworthy, we don't need to be intimidated. But what we often do is we have all these Goliaths in our lives and we're intimidated by them. And we think that's that's the reality of the situation. It's not that the Goliaths aren't real. It's that the situations that we're in, we're deriving truth from it, but that truth isn't the full truth. There's also a God. And so... um. The statement, all things are possible for one who believes, is saying that when we understand the whole truth and trusting in the reality of God in the midst of our circumstances, anything's possible. And so when there's demons around, they could be cast out. When there's sickness, it could be healed. Where there's fear, there could be peace. Where there's despair, there could be hope. Because God is present. It's not that we suck God in from some distant place and we pull on him into our reality. It's connecting with the truth of what God really wants to do in the difficult situations we find ourselves in. And somehow the disciples were not connected with that. Some, For sure, the man was not connected with that. The scribes completely denied it. Jesus alone was connected with the reality of the truth and he was being faithful towards the truth and the reality that was being faced in that situation. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It's not um, the assurance of things wished for. It's knowing those things that we can't see are actually real. Now we might be imagining um, unreal things. And, and that's part of the point here. It takes imagination when we're faced with one thing, but know that something else is really true. And so we need imaginations that are informed by the truth of God. And that's what Jesus had here. And so the man's response, verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Talk about remarkable gospel. Who would come up with a statement like this? When you understand what, what faith is, it's trust, right? It's trust. It's trust in the reality of God. 
And the man responds to Jesus' big statement, all things are possible to the one who believes, with, I believe, I trust. You're right. This is true. Help me with the fact that I actually don't believe it. Who would say something like that? But actually what the father is doing is he is somehow reflecting a reality of our of our condition that we are so conflicted. He's saying, yes, but I'm conflicted. Help me. And this is what we need to do. So many of us, we know the truth of God. We know it, we know it, we know it, but, 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 but. Um, I don't normally talk about my kids, but this just came to mind, and I'm not going to say who, but when one of our kids was really little, they used to do this thing, and it was, um, um, they would want to say something. They were really little, but they were talking, of course, they were talking, and it would, and, and they would say, um, I, I want to say something, I'm, 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 I'm going to forget, I, I'm going to forget, I'm going to forget, I forgot. And it's kind of like this. It's like, and they would forget. Apparently they would forget. And they were sort of, they were conscious that this thought was was slipping from their minds. And don't we feel like that with our faith? Like we, we, we sort of know, but we could feel it slipping through our fingers all at the same time. Maybe it's not the best illustration, but I think you get the point. And the, the thing is, remember, then Jesus cast out the demon. And, and yet we think in order to get things from God, we've got our faith. If only we have faith, I believe, I believe, oh, I believe. Better not, better not doubt, better not forget, better not forget, better not forget. Ah, I forgot. I lost faith. I'm not trusting. Oh, I lose. Is that what he wants here? No, no, no. Let's be honest because it's really, who is this all about? Who's the healer? Ultimately, even when Jesus sends the disciples out to heal, maybe part of the problem here is that they forgot who the healer was. They thought it was them. And they were no longer relying on God to provide the power to heal. And so they have actually lost trust by putting trust in themselves and they couldn't do it. And we'll see in a moment how how, how that's emphasized uh, and confirmed in this passage. And so... Let's be honest about our struggle of, of faith, about our struggle to truly trust God. Like we know who to go to. And let's be honest. I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Verse 25, when Jesus saw their crowd came running together, and it's like, were they? With, I thought they were with the crowd. It's very possible that he took the man and the, and the boy away, maybe with a few of the disciples. We don't know for the, for the time being, but now the, the crowd is 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 maybe becoming more agitated and they're approaching Jesus. And as they came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit. And now he knows a little bit more. Deaf hadn't come up until now. I command you. Uh, and it seems to be important to address accurately like he did. And, and that's going to come into play in a moment. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Very specific instructions, verse 26 and 27. And after he cried out, sorry, and after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out more mess. And the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Now, of course, we don't know, was the boy really dead? And he then he raised him from the dead, or it, it looked like that. There seems there is an idea of you know disaster relief going on here, 
And, and we don't really know what that was. But we do know that he delivered the boy. Verses 28 and 29. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Good question. Not a good question. They couldn't do it. Then he did it. So now they want to know, why could we not do it? We need to ask good questions. How many people feel ashamed after a situation like that? And they don't want to ask. They got an answer because they asked. And I believe there are things that we are not receiving from God because we're not asking him. We're trying to be polite. We're shy. Shy is another word for being scared, by the way. So we're scared. We're ashamed. What's he going to say? Well, we need to know what he's going to say. We need to know why we're not being effective. We, there's so many things we've tried and they didn't work. Do we ask God after? Why did this not work? Please tell us. He's not, he's not his, his desire isn't to squish us like a bug. He wants to lift us up like that boy. He wants to deliver us like that boy. He wants us to be free like that boy. And yet we shy away. We have to stop shying away. We need to ask him what's wrong with us so we could find out what that is and let him free us. And what was wrong? It's because he says this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What? Oh, were they supposed to go? God, God, please deliver the boy. Be delivered? Well, sort of yes and no. Now, the disciples had gone out not long before, and they had cast out demons and healed people and all the rest. So it's possible that they'd become cocky and they'd become self reliant instead of God reliant. There's a scene later on in Peter's life where he did it differently. Now, in this case, it wasn't demon oppression like this boy. It was the story of Lydia in Acts chapter Acts chapter 9. Uh, did I say Lydia? I'm sorry. Tabitha, also called Dorcas. And uh, she had died. And in that scene, you can look it up, he gets on his knees and he prays first. And then... He tells her to get up. So what likely happened was he sought God's wisdom first. He expressed reliance upon God first, and then he delivered, raised up the girl. And that's reminiscent of a scene before Jesus in the days of Elisha, the, the successor to Elijah. It's actually Eliyahu and then Elisha. So Elisha, Elisha was faced also with a, a, a dead son, the son of this woman. So this dead boy. And he too prayed first, then ministered. And I wonder how many times we have attempted to, to go and do something before seeking the mind and heart of God. Of course, prayer should be part of our lives in general. But we need to get God's mind. We get need to get God's understanding. And that's likely, we didn't see here that Jesus prayed first, but somehow he knew God's mind, not because he, he walked around with it the whole time, but because he relied on the Father in knowing what to do. And so it was necessary, not 
just to have a concept of dependency upon God, but to express that dependency by looking to the Father first and then knowing what to do. And that's what we all need to do. Let's pray. Our Father, would you please show us why we're not as effective as we should be. Help us, Lord, to ask you the questions we need to ask and to be instructed by you. Lord, please, may we rely on you more than ever. Show us how to pray, Lord. Not formulas, um, not, not cold prayers, cold repetitive prayers, but help us to fully seek you from our hearts. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Until next time, this is Pastor Allen. God bless you and may your, you and your loved ones know God's peace, His presence as you rely on Him. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca Thank you.